bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Well, today's show you might not think would be inside the mainstream. You might think of it a little more outside the mainstream. But it is a fabulous, fantastic idea, and we're going to talk about that today. You know how the news is always like they they get you interested in a story and then they move on to something else and you're like, wait, I still have questions. Well, this is what's happened with this story. Nature school, outdoor outdoor kindergarten, forest kindergarten, 100% outdoor school. Um, It's getting a lot of attention in in the media nationally. It's been on Nightline. It's been on local uh, TV. It's, It's been all over America. And it's actually a concept that goes outside the borders of America and around the world. And I have the founder of Cedar Song Nature School, Erin Kinney, on with me today. And we're going to follow through on some of these questions um, when she was being interviewed on Nightline and such that, that I had questions on and talk about this fantastic idea for school, um, which is outdoor, 100%. It's 100% outdoor school. I have some questions. Thanks, Erin, for coming on. Thank you, Lori, so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. Well, I am just thrilled to have you because this is such a great idea, and I'll I'll tell you why on on my end, because I can remember being in traditional school, and once or twice throughout my educational experience, we had to go outside um, for class for whatever reason. The school was being painted, something was going on. And I can remember vividly those times, maybe two or three times in my whole educational experience, and how we all as a class love that experience and I still have fond memories of that all of these years years later. Well it's funny that you say that Lori because I do speak about that um, when I give talks. I also have a recollection in middle school of one particular art teacher who would take us outdoors for our art classes maybe only three or four times in the entire school year and I still remember each and every one of those particular classes where the rest of them were completely a blur. So if there is something about being outdoors that resonates with us as humans, and especially as children, we tend to really um, uh, soak in those memories, and they become part of our childhood experience and part also of our learning experience. Mm-hmm. So h- how did you get to this point? Take us through, because you were educated traditionally, right, like like the rest of us? I was, and um, I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, which is kind of a suburban area, and I was always drawn to being outdoors. Um, I was always going barefoot. Luckily, I was being raised by a mom who was a naturalist, so she was very attentive to pointing out uh, different aspects of nature and teaching us how to respect nature and move gently through the natural world. So it was wonderful. We not only got extended nature immersion time, but I had a mentor who taught me how to respect nature. And those two elements are 
quite often pointed to as the reason most environmental activists became interested in protecting the environment. So there's a concern these days that as children are being increasingly disconnected from nature, that they will not have that intimate uh, emotional attachment that then leads to wanting to preserve that environment. Well, it's, it's very interesting in the fact that not only are they connecting back to nature, but you're also um, preparing little scientists out there as well because these kids are, are, are recording what they find and it goes up on a website and they're documenting changes um, that they're seeing in plant growth and, and with birds and, and, and different things in the environment um, and, and logging that. And, and that's scientific. And, and these are, are babies doing this. Absolutely, and it's interesting because a lot of the current neuroscience research is backing up these ideas that uh, young children are actually naturally uh, are naturally inquisitive and have a scientific mind, and that their minds are more open and uh, they have greater problem-solving abilities than a lot of adults do because as we get older, our minds get more narrow, and especially in the traditional education model that we have in the public schools here, you, we're taught that there's only one answer to every question, and that has to do with all the standardized tests. The teacher stands in front as the dispenser of information, and the children are seen as just passive uh, recipients of that information. That is completely the opposite of how our school unfolds. Um, getting back to how I started on this path, um, I just felt really strongly that as, as I became older and I wanted to teach children about nature and connect them with nature, I felt that it was not appropriate to teach about nature inside a classroom. And so I had this idea of starting homeschool classes, um, and they would take place completely outdoors, and they were classes about um, naturalist studies and forest ecology. They took place completely outdoors. And like what we were saying about those classes outdoors that we remembered as children, many of those uh, students who, uh, well, this was 12 to 15 years ago, many of them are in graduate school now, and they still cite these outdoor classes that I led as something that really affected them and that they still um, remember, and it caused many of them to want to go further into the environmental field, which is one of the main reasons that I am so passionate about this. Um, so about 15 years ago, I started uh, an all-outdoor summer camp for kids, and it was based on my childhood, uh, sort of a recreation of my childhood memory that was uh, where we spent extended amount of time immersed in nature with no or little adult supervision, something that children today just don't get. Um, if they're going out outdoors at all, it's for very limited amount of times on a playground while the parent is busy texting and never really letting the children out of their sight. Um, so originally these camps were just to let children have that ex experience of timelessness in nature and just being in nature rather than do-do-doing in nature. Uh, and then when I had a child in 2003, and when he was about three, I started looking around for preschools, and I was very shocked to find out that in my small rural community, all of the preschools were completely indoors. And that just seemed like wrong to me. And I started having this idea of an all-outdoor preschool, and coincidentally then in 2006 I read Richard Loof's book, 
Last Child in the Woods. And he described the forest kindergartens, or Wald kindergartens, in Germany. And it turns out there are hundreds and hundreds of these all-outdoor preschools running in Germany and other countries in Europe. So I started researching them. And at the time, there were no other models in the United States. And so I took a leap of faith and started this all-outdoor preschool here on our small island of Vashon in Puget Sound, right outside Seattle. And now, five years later, we cannot even keep up, keep up with the demand. We have uh, 42 families enrolled in our forest kindergarten, and two-thirds of them travel by ferry to get to our island to bring their preschoolers. That's how much of a demand there is, and that's how needed this model is. Um, American parents are starting to understand that it may not be the best strategy to enroll their children in highly academic programs between the ages of three and five. And following the current neuroscience research, we're finding out that that actually is not a good way to just prepare children for later academic success in school, that early childhood models like the forest kindergarten that leave the kids' uh, creative minds open, uh, increases their problem solving, uh, really works carefully with the emotional and social development of these children. These are the kind of things that lead to a whole child kindergarten readiness rather than the uh, myopic, uh, narrow view of early academics as a marker for kindergarten readiness. Mm -hmm. It makes total, total sense because they're out there, they're climbing trees, they're playing in the dirt, they're playing in the mud. What would, well, I don't even know if you have a normal day, but, but what would a kind of a, a normal day look like for, for a child? Well, first of all, uh, one of the distinguishing features of our forest kindergarten program is that it is interest-led. Interest-led means that the teacher lets go of control and follows the children um, on their adventures and stops where the children stop. Um, engages them when they become curious about some aspect of nature and will stop in the moment and give a mini little science lesson for as long as the kid's interest is held, and then we'll just move on. So throughout the year, depending on the season, depending on the weather, depending on the temperature, the children will choose different types of activities, and it is all their own choice. We don't provide toys for the children or plastic uh, climbing structures or anything. Um, it's the idea that, um, that the children, uh, all the quote-unquote toys are what's considered loose parts. So there are any number of ways a stick can be used uh, as a pretend object. I've seen it been used as a broom, as a kite, as a walking stick, a magic wand, a vacuum. I mean, on and on. When children are given an opportunity to expand their own imagination, it's absolutely incredible how deep they can go uh, into that imagination. And getting back to your point about uh, developing young scientists, this is exactly how the scientific mind works. It's not a situation where somebody asks a question and they're looking for a specific answer and there's only one answer. With these children, whenever they um, are suggesting an answer, I will respond by saying, that's a great idea. What else could it be? And their minds are continuously being encouraged to expand and come up with deeper ideas. Um, also, so much of the physical work that they're doing uh, out in the forest 
is uh, little physics and engineering experiments. They're continuously um, uh, playing with water flow. We have a nice, big, deep mud puddle, and when it rains, the water is running in rivulets down to that puddle. Or the children will pick up buckets of water and um, pour them down the river, and then they'll build dams, and they'll build bridges, and then they'll break the dams, and they'll study how the water goes. Um, we also, to set up uh, organic in the field science experiments, will come up with games. Uh, for example, a five-year-old came up with this game called Sink or Float. And so we would throw objects into our mud puddle to see whether they sink, would sink or float. But before we did that, we would ask everyone, do you think this is going to sink or float? And all the kids would give their answer, and then we'd throw it in, that's the experiment, and then we'd notice the result. Well, at first the kids were saying things like, oh, heavy things sink and light things float. And then we found some uh, or small things and big things, and we found some small things that sunk, like a small pebble, and then we found larger things, like a very dry stick that would float. So they had to revise their, um, their results based on uh, further experimentation. So this is exactly how a scientific mind works. And I like to think, and I say, that we are setting up a lifelong love of science. And that is something that is so needed in our world today because uh, there's all this talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, and how our high school students are uh, failing at science, and worse, they don't even enjoy science. And then there's um, people are wondering why, and they're not looking to the pre-K uh, kids um, whose interests and love of science and natural inquisitiveness and curiosity are being shut down by very academically oriented programs that from my point of view, are age inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. well, uh, that this forest kindergarten idea is is a great strategy for teaching young children. Uh, and I can speak. <laughs> well, I, I would think that it would also help with um, physical activity as well. I'm sure that you don't have a bunch of obese children running around. Um, so not only are their minds being fed, but they're they're their physical body is, is being fed as well. Right, right, exactly. And that's the thing is most people immediately think about the physical aspects of a program like this, and, and they can see how it would be beneficial, especially with all the talk um, in our modern world about obesity, obesity and sedentary lifestyles. Um, the funny thing is we really don't um, observe the kids just running and running and running. Um, quite often when groups of children are playing in nature, they're playing quite um, in a very focused uh, and intentional way, uh, whether they're doing deep imagination play or they're just digging in the soil with a stick or they're pouring water. Um, they just tend to be very focused, and I think it's a, uh, really a surprise when a lot of people come and observe our school because they imagine that the children are just going to be running amok, and that's mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. not what we see so often. So the other uh, benefits that come to mind, um, besides just the physical strength, is there is uh, in increased immune system functioning. So when you're outdoors and you're breathing in the air that's got all the uh, volatile oils from the plants, that that stimulates the human immune system. So the immune system actually is strengthened. And also 
when um, kids are have a cold or something out in the forest, they're much less likely to pass it on because they're not in close quarters. They're not touching and mouthing the same toys like they would in an indoor preschool. So our children are also a lot healthier in that way. They don't get sick as often. Um, the other thing is that since we are very carefully tending to the emotional and, and social development of these children, um, they play way more cooperatively and you observe a lot more teamwork with these children than you do in uh, large group indoor preschools. That is amazing because that's one thing I wanted to ask you because I just want to reiterate again, this is 100% outdoor school. So you have to deal with the elements and the weather. There is no building that you run into if it starts to rain. They are, are outside. So I wanted to ask you about sickness. Yeah. And the and, weather. Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting because there's still so many people believe the urban myth that you get sick from being outdoors in the cold and wet, and that's absolutely not true. That has been scientifically debunked over and over because you get sick from viruses. So and germs. So the and they're not the kind of germs you're going to find in the dirt or the mud, you know. So I, mm -hmm. I like to talk about. We need to. One thing we're trying to do is reintroduce a cultural acceptance of muddy children. Children are supposed to be digging in the dirt and rolling around and getting dirty and muddy. Unfortunately, in America, we want everything um, sterilized and antiseptic. So um, there are many children who are not allowed by their parents to get dirty. So, um, yeah. Is, is, is that something that, that you also have to enlighten the parents who, who bring their kids? Because I, I, I'm sure that if they sign their kids up for outdoor kindergarten, that they have some expectation that's, you know, that's going to be outside. But is it even a learning experience for the parents? Well, Lori, I have developed a very stringent selection process for our program because, yeah, I mean, not all families are suited for our program or, or, or are all the children a great match for our program. In my experience, most children want to go outside and want to play outside, especially between the ages of two and five. So these days, the main thing that's keeping them inside and giving them negative messages about nature are their parents. So if you have children who, by age three, have already been given a lot of negative messages about not getting dirty or nature is scary, those children are going to be so fearful and anxious out in nature that it's not going to really work for them. So mm -hmm. I like to say that we choose families, not just children. We need to know that these parents who are enrolling their children are absolutely 100% behind the program and understand why this benefits their children. I often say I am not trying to convert anyone. I am trying to inspire and empower those parents and those educators who understand why the Forest Kindergarten Early Childhood Education model is a great uh, model for children and that there is a lot of value in play as far as learning, as far as children's social and emotional development, their opportunities for play negotiation and conflict resolution come from play and uh, natural authentic play. Uh, and then uh, so many of the lessons, the science lessons that these kids learn are based on their observation and their interaction with the natural world. 
um, when they see that our mud puddle is shrinking because it hasn't rained for a while, they start to understand where water comes from, where it goes, how it comes back, and we write songs about it. Um, they also remember from season to season, oh, here come the madrona flowers. Now they're all falling to the ground and we're eating them. Remember last year when we were eating them? You know, so it, it builds a cellular memory, too, for these children as they experience the same land year after year during every single season. And one of the strategies for not having any indoor space is that American children are so used to spending time indoors that the minute they feel discomfort in nature, they want to go indoors. So if we have no indoor space, it requires the children to be more verbal about exactly what their discomfort is, and it also places more responsibility on the teacher to pay attention and be proactive to how these children, um, whether they're warm, dry, uh, well-fed, and those kinds of things that we want to tend to so that they, we can maximize their enjoyment in nature. Because if children are cold and wet when they're out in nature, they don't associate it with the fact that their clothing is inappropriate. They're going to associate that feeling with being in nature. So we do mm -hmm. everything we can to make sure that the children are absolutely warm and dry and comfortable the entire time they're outdoors, no matter what the weather. And we've had kids out in 20-degree weather, and we've had kids out in absolutely pouring rain for the entire class time. Our classes are three hours. And these are two- and three-year-olds. And they're out there without complaint because we've worked diligently with their parents about the exact clothing that their children need to wear. And we make sure we have plenty of extra clothing on hand, too. Right. Clothing is one of the most – yeah. Do, 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 do you ever worry about losing one of them, like, like one of them, like, running off? into the woods or anything. Um, well, that's, one of the things, that's one of the things we assess for when we um, are accepting children into our class. If they're serious wanderers and they will not uh, reply or respond or come back when a teacher calls them, we can't accept them into our program. So mm -hmm. if we have children who are, who are defiantly wandering, then that's not a good match for our program. However, um, because we have an interest-led style, we keep our class sizes small. Uh, we, our maximum class size is eight, and we have two teachers at all times. That way, if one group feels like taking an adventure up the trail and the other group feels like staying and digging in the mud, we can honor that. One teacher can go with the group that feels like adventuring, and one teacher stays with the group that feels like sitting in one place. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Now, I have an irrational fear of bears. <laughs> Do you guys ever run into any wild animals or anything out there? No, not not on Vashon. We're too close to the Seattle-Tacoma metropolitan area, even though it's a very small rural island accessible only by ferry. Uh, occasionally, we have black bears swim here on their way to the Cascade Mountains. Um, and so we'll, uh, we don't really encounter bear, but they, it's known that bear travels through here. Um, mm -hmm. In April, I was speaking up at the Alaska Family Child Care Association conference, and all those educators were eager to connect their children with more nature time. However, they had very realistic concerns about bear, moose, and below 30-degree weather, all of which I wasn't really equipped to, uh, to talk as, as eloquently about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I would think that every different area where a school could be would have their own type of, you know, 
special circumstances that they'd have to deal with. Are are there other types of schools like this in the United States? I, I know you said they're all around the world. I know they're in Scotland and the Netherlands and Germany. Um, are, are there any more in the United States? Well, there are getting to be more and more nature preschools. And last month I was um, the keynote speaker at the Nature Preschool Conference in the Irvine Nature Center in Maryland, and um, this was their second annual conference, and it was completely um, sold out. So I think that there's definitely a movement afoot. Um, however, our program is still quite distinguishable from the other nature preschools and outdoor programs that are starting for, uh, for several reasons. One is our commitment to all outdoors all the time. So we do not have any indoor space, as we were saying. Um, we don't take the kids indoors at all. They are expected to show up ready for whatever weather it is that day. Um, the other thing uh, is we are completely interest-led, slow learning. So we do not have circle time, story time, uh, arts and crafts time. There's no schedule to the day. The kids are with us for three hours, and we basically follow their lead. Whatever they feel like doing or playing, we will um, guide them into co-creating different adventures or explorations. But our role as teachers is as guides, not as leaders. So that's really different also. Um, we also, hand-in-hand uh, hand with that is what's called uh, emergent curriculum. So we don't have a curriculum that we overlay. So we don't come in on a certain day and say, well, today we're going to study mushrooms because it's the fall and all the mushrooms are coming out. It's just the kids notice the mushrooms. And we start studying the mushrooms, and we make notes at the end of every day about what we did that day. Then at the end of the month, I will compile a beautiful newsletter, and you look at that newsletter, and it becomes obvious that we have written a curriculum based on our activities from that month. And you can really see the type of learning that's going on with these kids, uh, including forest ecosystems, biology, botany, etymology, ornithology, math, physics, and engineering. Well, and I, I want to tell everyone that not only were, were you raised in traditional school, but you are, um, before you started this um, program, you were actually an attorney. So you know completely the um, the elementary level of education, the secondary uh, and in post um, education. You, you know how the whole thing works. You've been through the whole thing on uh, on uh, as far as academics go in, in the United States all the way up to, um, you know, becoming a lawyer. Right. It's fascinating to me. Um, sometimes I look at uh, going to law school and, and taking the bar exam and, and wonder why I did that and how that fits into my life today. But I like to think that everything we do in life sort of leads you to the path you're supposed to be on. And um, I, I use that as an illustration of when you're following your heart, um, it really requires a leap of faith. When I decided I wasn't going to practice law and I wanted to start all outdoor programs for children, um, a lot of people really questioned that decision. Um, also, given that we live in a culture that elevates attorneys and devalues preschool teachers, um, it felt to some people like I was lowering myself. But to me, there is no greater work than positively educating the next generation of children. And I'm really sad that we live in a culture that doesn't value that as much as, uh, say, having a law degree. 
um, because it's definitely people look at me differently if I say I have a law degree compared to if I say I'm a preschool teacher. And that's that's just uh, really too bad. It, it just, there, yeah. there it is, there. That is part of the systemic problem that we have in this country. Teachers mm-hmm. are so valued. And worse than that, they're forced to work within the confines of some kind of national uh, agenda uh, that does not serve the students, and it doesn't uh, stimulate the teacher's creativity at all. You've got all these great teachers who want to, who went into teaching because they want to stimulate the, the child's uh, love of learning, and their hands are tied because of the type of curriculum that's coming down from a national level. Um, and I did want to briefly speak about, because a lot of people ask me how these children, once they enter the public schools and more formal education, how do they do then? Mm-hmm. So uh, there are no studies in this country yet. Uh, however, there have been several studies in Germany because the forest kindergartens have been operating for many, many years there, and they are completely government-funded because the studies have all shown that kids who attend the forest kindergarten early childhood education programs actually perform better academically when they get into formal education. And some of the reasons that are given for this is because they have greater problem-solving skills, they have higher critical thinking, they're more cooperative, they're more willing to take risks, they're more willing to um, to be wrong, <laughs> you know, to take that mm-hmm. risk. Um, mm-hmm. And they have uh, better conflict resolution, higher empathy, uh, better emotional resilience, and on and on. And conversely, by the way, there is not a single study out that shows that if you put your preschooler in an early academic program, that they will then do better than their peers by the time they're seven or eight years old. There's no studies that show that. So companies mm-hmm. like Kaplan and Kumon are preying on American parents' fears that their preschoolers are somehow going to fall behind. And what that means for the preschoolers is they're getting very little outdoor time and very little opportunity to engage their creative mind. And that's what leads to later academic success. Well, and it's even been coined a, a, a phrase, I think, um, in that book that you were referring to in, in the beginning, and na- a nature deficit disorder. And I think it's, it's running rampant, especially here in America. Yes. And Richard Lewis talks in the book about he believes that uh, something like ADHD is just an outcome of this nature deficit disorder. So I actually believe that as well. That's why I came up with my quote, children cannot bounce off the walls if we take away the walls. If you've got ADHD children and you've got children who are bouncing off the walls and they've got all this kinesthetic energy they need to get out, put them outside. And what I see happen with ADHD kids when they go outside they take a little bit of time to get that energy out, and then they are very focused, and they can sit still for long periods of time. And there have been several really? studies also back this up. I've seen it firsthand myself. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is ADHD just being diagnosed more? Are kids having it more? Or is it just that we live in a culture that cannot tolerate active children? We unrealistically expect young children to sit in a chair for long periods of time looking straight ahead at a blackboard, that is an unnatural way to learn. And so, uh, of course, children are going to be fidgety and they can't pay attention. I mean, mm-hmm. so 
Have 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 you been um, surprised, Aaron, by how much publicity you've gotten, not only at the local level but at the national level? Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I have been shocked actually. I mean, we've been in People Magazine, Sierra Club Magazine, American Forests Magazine, and then on, as you mentioned, ABC News Nightline, and also the international UK Daybreak morning program. Um, I am thrilled from the perspective that I am feel like I am the message bearer for this uh, type of early childhood education model in this country, uh, and I'm excited to have been given some of these platforms to spread that message. I set Cedar Song Nature School up as a nonprofit organization, and we have a board of directors who steers the organization. And part of my reasoning for that was what I always wanted to keep in mind that I'm here to spread this important message. It's not about being uh, having a great idea and trying to make money off it or franchise it or anything like that. It's more about going out and speaking at conferences. Uh, we have a teacher training program here at Cedar Song now to empower other teachers to take this model to their own school district or to their own home daycare or preschool. The more children who benefit from this nature immersion time because they have adults who feel empowered um, as a result of hearing me speak or finding out about Cedar Song, that is the dream for me. So I am so incredibly thankful well, I, I want to um, tell people that even after this show, they can find more information at your website, which is cedarsongnatureschool.org. And if they go on YouTube, they can find a lot of these news clips that, that, were, um, that, that we're talking about that have been on a lot of these national shows on YouTube. And uh, I think you also have some um, uh, activities with the kids that they can actually see as well. And all the kids are just having a great time. They're climbing trees, which... You know, do you worry about them falling or anything like that? See, I'm one of those people that that I really love this idea. I'm just a big fraidy cat. But I would have absolutely put my kids in it had I known about it. Well, the thing is it, it, we develop a strong trust, um, and we build. We do a lot of community building around this model. All the families who are with us feel very connected. We have several events throughout the year that connect the families. And we have a big family camp out at the end of the year. Uh, and these strategies are to um, give the parents a built-in support network of other parents who absolutely understand that this is the right model for their children. So they can, it can help uh, eliminate some of their anxieties or their own fears or insecurities, even though they want this experience for their child. They also have the benefit of the other parents uh, passing along strategies, what's the best way to transition them after a particularly cold or wet, uh, muddy day in the winter, uh, and those kinds of things that help uh, bolster up the whole um, program through everybody working together. Um, I think also an important thing is, of course, there is risk assessment with everything that we do. And we have many layers of rules dealing with safety issues, uh, like sticks and climbing, that kind of thing. So just real quickly, climbing, uh, three main climbing rules. One is that uh, we never lift children up. They need to be able to climb their own selves to where they can get to. And no matter how much they cry, we will not lift them up. Part of the strategy is because you don't want to lift kids up to where they're not comfortable. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And the other thing is, once 
they achieve that goal, it's all about building children's self-esteem. And so uh, once they finally get to that branch they've been wanting and wanting to get to and they got there all on their own, that sense of pride that you see on their face and how they've internalized that, it's just priceless. I mean, that's what it's all about. Secondly, once children are adept at climbing, they're not allowed to climb more than twice their own height. And the third thing is children are not allowed to play underneath where other children are climbing. Mm -hmm. So you see, we have a lot of safety rules built in um, as part of our risk assessment um, with each of these activities that might be considered minimal risk. But truthfully, that's the things that have been stripped out of modern childhood, and that is something that I feel really strongly about, that when children are given the opportunity to practice and hone their own skills, uh, whether it's jumping or climbing or balancing, then that they learn what their capabilities are, and they also learn what their comfort level is. And they won't just climb to the top of the tree as soon as they can get uh, up to a certain branch. They will carefully and methodically, day after day, stretch their boundaries a little bit. And that's what we want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had my son. See, this would have been so perfect for my son, but he's grown up now. But um, I had him in Montessori. So this is almost like outdoor Montessori, sort of. Mm -hmm. um, th that same, a little bit of a concept where the child is able to do it. Because he, and, and my son to this day, he's uh, he's just doesn't go with traditional kind of structural thinking. Now, of course, he, he adapts to, you know, society. But um, Montessori was, was a really good fit for him because he just couldn't sit there and toe the line, so to speak, like, you know, like, like some kids could do academically. But this outdoor thing, because he was so active, this would have been so great for him because he has this affinity to the outdoors and and he loves that kind of thing and 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 this would have even been more right up his alley if it was Montessori you know outdoor but there there wasn't anything like it that that's why I love it it's it's so great for parents to at least have the option yes exactly and just real briefly um Maria Montessori would have uh was was all about the outdoors so the, the, it's a little disturbing that so many Montessori programs are completely indoors because that was not Maria's idea. Mm-hmm. Mm. So. Yeah, see, we, we, we were in California at that time, and, yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, it was outside, but that was more like recess type of thing. But, I mean, this is like outdoors. This isn't a cement jungle. This is, you know, the real forest. <laughs> well, and the, the thing is, we, we, as I said, we can't even keep up with the demand. And so it's right. not like thing. There's a lot of nature preschools starting up, but they are it's curriculum based. So what we're doing for children, literal, quite literally, is I am recreating my childhood experience where so much of the play ended up in learning, and um, so many positive memories were formed. And this is something that today's children are not getting. How many kids today get three hours of unstructured time in nature? Nine. <laughs> the, the statistics are shocking. I mean, it's 30 minutes a week, a week, Lori. <laughs> oh, my God. Of outdoor play for the American child, contrasted with seven hours a day of media. Right. So, oh, my gosh. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's academic. 
or uh, yeah, an epidemic of um, nature deficit disorder for sure. Plus, it, it's got to give them an empathy for nature and birds and plants and trees and animals in in general. Well, that's the thing. When you can objectify something, that's when you can abuse and destroy it. So if you have a whole generation of children who are not connected with the natural world, who objectify it and think of the natural world as other than themselves, then they are not going to be the ones uh, chaining themselves to trees or blocking uh, logging trucks, uh, that kind of activism that we see uh, with environmentalists uh, in the past uh, or even what's going on now, say, in some of the uh, indigenous cultures up in Canada where um, they're trying to stop some of the, the pipeline activity and the logging of the ancient forests, um, it's still mostly older people who are involved in that um, because the next generation coming up has not been emotionally attached to the land. If you don't understand or know or personally connect with something, it is much easier for you to look the other way when it's being harmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Erin, I just really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I just had so many questions, and those, those and I, I, I'm so happy that that you are getting the coverage nationally and internationally. But you know, there's only so much time that they could spend on it. And when I saw it, I'm like, I have more questions. And so I tracked Erin down, and she was just kind enough to come on and and spend an extra amount of time to kind of talk to us about this today. Just a, it's absolutely a home run, right out of the park for for those who are interested in in this kind of program. There is no wonder to me that you have a waiting list and and that uh, you, you can't even meet the demand for this because it's such a it's such a great 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 idea for, for, for those who are, who are looking for that option. I'm glad they have it. Great. Thanks a lot for the affirmations, Lori. I know every day that we're doing the right thing when I see how happy the children are and also how happy the parents are and how the parents report back to me over and over that the, attending this program has not only changed their child's life, it has positively benefited their family life. Mm-hmm. Have have you been asked to go higher in education than than um you know than than the kindergarten? Oh yeah, all the time. The uh, we there many of the parents are wanting us to have a Cedar Song Primary School and right up through high school. Um, we uh, you know we uh, being a nonprofit we want to grow slowly and sustainably and we also want to stay sensitive to what our niche is. And right now, it's the early childhood. And also, since our mark is the interest-led flow learning, we are hesitant to overlay any curriculum on that. So I think at this point, we're sort of leaving that to other um, programs. Uh, what we do offer, though, is an extension of our forest kindergarten is we have the summer camps, which go up to age 12 which are the same kind of model. They're all interest-led, slow camp. There's no schedule for five hours. Um, and we do a monthly Saturday camp for the kids who've aged out of our forest kindergarten program. But it is tough letting go of these kids and knowing they want more and their parents want more. Uh, you know, but as somebody said to me recently, I can't be everything for everyone, much as I'd like to. Right. <laughs> Well, I, I, I figured that they must have been asking about those things because uh, it's such a, a great experience and, then you, you know, you absolutely don't want to, you know, um, 
lose that that experience. You know, I mean, here, I mean, for for, for people who are listening outside of the Seattle area, to actually get on the ferry and go to Vashon Island, I mean, it's it it takes a little bit of effort to do that, and and you have people who are doing that and and enjoying every minute of it, and I, I can totally see why they would want to continue that experience. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, Erin, for coming on. We want to tell everybody they can find out more information at cedarsongnatureschool.org. And thanks again, Erin, for coming on. Really, really, really appreciate it. Nothing but the best of luck to you. You are on to something, as as you well know, and uh, uh, I can completely see why it's as popular as it is. Great. Thank you so much, Lori, for giving me the opportunity to um, spread this message even farther. It is my life's work to really um, inspire people and empower people to move forward with this kind of early childhood education model um, if they are feeling um, it pulled in that direction. So thank you so Absolutely. much. Oh, you are welcome. Well, have a great day and have fun with, with those kids. Okay, great. Thanks, Lori. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was Erin Kinney. She is the founder and director of Cedar Song Nature School on Vashon Island outside of um, Seattle. But as you heard, that there are nature schools popping up, forest kindergartens popping up all over the United States and um, around the world. They've already been going for many, 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 many years. And there's a waiting list, and it's just a very fascinating subject for those who are looking for alternative um, forms of uh, early childhood uh, education for their children. We're going to go out today with Eva Cassidy's Over the Rainbow. Had the Cassidy family on before, just a very absolutely wonderful group of people. Um, They've sent me a lot of Eva's songs to play. This is one of her uh, most um, uh, successful songs, although she has had many, many successes. But Over the Rainbow, I think, is appropriate for today. I'm going to play you out with that. And we will talk to you next time on Northwest Prime. Be sure to follow us on northwestprime.com. You can pick up this and other episodes. And then stay with us on Seattle Wave Radio for more music and interviews 24-7-365. Have a great day. I heard of one